My name is Michael Kaiser. And I'm John Wilson. Welcome to another episode of Make Ours Marvel. This is episode 102 of the show, where we are settling into our second century of episodes. We are in the middle of August 1965, and we've got lots of comics to talk about. Oh, a century sounds like so much. Yeah. (laughs) Well, speaking of centuries, just to throw this out there, we are starting tonight with Daredevil number 10, and that is, by my count, and I've recounted a few times, our 300th Silver Age comic book. Really? Yes. I love this cover, too. Oh, my gosh. It's it's a pretty great cover. Actually, this whole comic is weird and kooky and should not have been as good as it was. Have you ever been to that site? I'm sure we've talked about it on the show before, but manwithoutfear.com. I get a commission every time I plug it. but <laughs> It's been a long time, but yeah, I'm familiar with the site. When I first discovered that site, he was using this Daredevil image as his main layout. So mm. I don't know. I just associate that with that for some reason. Oh, it's a fantastic Daredevil. It's just... You know, you also have Catman and Ape Man and Hawkman and Frogman on there. <laughs> right. If you just cut Daredevil out, it's pretty good. Uh, you know what's interesting also? Now that we are doing four issues a night mm-hmm. episode, you never really have to ask who goes first because it's always you. Oh, shoot. Well, it's sometimes just every we other do one five. Now. Sometimes okay, we, well, do when we do five. That'll screw it up. But for now, but it's every yeah. other one. So. Oh, Wow. Okay. Well, this one is entitled While the City Sleeps. It has um, exquisite editing by Stan Lee, lustrous layouts by Bob Powell, stunning script and art by Wally Wood, and lots of lettering by Artie Simic. So I guess Bob Powell and Wally Wood. Powell has been doing a lot of art chores for Marvel of late. Um Maybe he just kind of plotted out the book and then Wood came back and did the actual art. And the script, apparently. And the script, apparently. Maybe that's why they got Powell to help with the layouts is to give him a little bit more time to work. Yeah, because this still looks very Wally Wood to me. But Yeah, yeah, it looks like Wood art. Okay, so darkness is settling over the East Coast. Um, there is a prison breakout. Um, this man in a cat suit and by cat suit, I don't mean like sleek leather <laughs> caressing your every crevice of your body. No. Not Catwoman suit. I mean, he's dressed as a cat. So this is the first furry in Marvel Comics. And right. uh, he is diving in. He's parachuting into this prison to rescue a guy who um, uh, his name is Monk Kiefer. And they, they rescue him and it hits the news. And then this, this hooded guy called the organizer starts making phone calls to a weird looking shriveled frog like dude and, um, a sort of bird nosed guy named Henry Hawk. Uh, and all four of these fellows get together and the organizer has brought them together because of their special skills to become the organization. And he's going to have Ooh. them do crimey things. Also, they're all going to wear animal suits. The guy whose name is Hawk, he dresses as a hawk. The guy whose name is Monk, he dresses like a monkey. The guy whose name is, I forget what his name was, something frog-like. Um, 
Uh, I had it pulled up here. It's uh, Francois LeBlanc. Yes, Frog LeBlanc. He dresses up as a frog, and of course we already had the cat person whose name is like, I don't know, Meowth or something. Um, Townsend Horgan. Right. <laughs> so these are Catman, Apeman, Birdman, and Frogman, and they mm-hmm. are the organization. Um, they start doing lots of crime. And we then change scenes to Matt Murdock and Karen Page in the law offices as the newspapers are talking about the crime wave that has hit the city. And Foggy Nelson shows up saying, hey, fab buddy, I'm pretty cool. You're pretty cool. How are you? <laughs> and um, he is looking to be the next district attorney of New York City. And he's going to run with the, a, a third party uh, called the Reform Party. And Matt's like, oh, wait a second. A third party, huh? What do you know about them? Huh? Are they bad? Are they evil? Are they using you? Have you researched them? Have you done your homework? What do you know? And Foggy's like, dude, lay off. Are you jealous much? So uh, he's like, there's gonna be a yacht party. You can come if you want to. I'm out of here. So we then go to the yacht and Foggy is there and Matt and Karen have gone and there's lots of cool people hanging out just talking about how the reform party is the way to go and one of Foggy's old girlfriends shows up and says, hey Foggy, I'm wearing a bathing suit and I think you're pretty great and Foggy's like, yeah, I think you're pretty great too. Um, This is Karen, but you're really great. And so they go off and they talk. Meanwhile, Matt Murdock is walking around. He's getting vibes. He's getting all kinds of vibes about bad stuff going on. And he thinks there's somebody out in the water trying to shoot someone on the boat. So he accidentally trips and knocks the the boom mast beam staff thing on the boat into the guy who's going to get shot. So he gets, uh, you know, not shot. Um, Anyways, he dives into the water, turns into a devil and sees Frogman. So he tries to go after Frogman, but Frogman lays a grenade. So um, Daredevil goes back on the boat. No, he doesn't go back on the boat. What does he do? Yeah, he goes back on the boat. Um, Frogman goes back to the base, uh, regroups the organization, and Daredevil somehow trails. Oh, he sees a Hawkman flying around with a a briefcase in his mouth. And says, oh, that's another weird person in an animal costume. And chase them. And uh, meanwhile, Foggy is getting sweet on the young lady from the yacht. Um, To make a long story tolerable, Daredevil does a lot of uh, investigations of the organization people. He stops a few crimes midstream. Foggy gets closer and closer to the Reform Party. He goes to a fundraiser gathering with his new girlfriend, um, who's the daughter of one of the other high members of the Reform Party. And... um, He's present when there's a bit of a falling out between two of the people who are sort of be, supposed to be running for offices together. And uh, while this party is going, the uh, animal people arrive and kidnap Foggy's new girlfriend. Daredevil pursues. He um, has to fight Ape Man and he catches up and is sitting outside the window when he hears the girlfriend talking to her captors about how that fool foggy Nelson is going to have to do anything. The boss wants. So he's like, Oh no, she was in on it. And foggy doesn't even know. And as Daredevil was listening in, Hawkman is flying up behind him. And that is the end of the issue. We end on a little bit of a cliffhanger. Boy, a lot happened in this one, huh? A lot happened. And like I said at the beginning, um, lots of twists and turns. The story elements were kooky as anything, mm. but I got a real like charge out of the story. I really enjoyed reading it. 
So I recognize the animal people, the furries, from the Marvel handbook, totally. Okay. I don't think I've ever really read any issues with them. These are This is the first appearance, so this is the first appearance of all of them except the ape man. Right. And I went back and looked because um, yeah. they make a note. Oh, do they make a note? Okay, no, they don't make a note. He's no. in prison, and he was put in prison by, uh, they don't say by whom, but um, but we know. But we can find out. So, what was it? Daredevil wasn't Daredevil, was it? No, it was Avengers number. No, that's right. So remember when the Avengers fought the Mole Man, and that story was so dumb, and in the end, like Red Ghost shows up for no reason, and all that crap. Yes, the Avengers. Okay, 12. the one good scene in that that I remember was the part where Cap and Rick are assigned to go get some gizmo from Stark Industries. And just like the rest of the plot, there's this bonkers plot device where, like, it's being robbed for no reason because they needed more stuff to put in this comic. And Ape Man is one of the dudes doing the robbing. And that was a cool scene because Rick screws up somehow. I can't remember how. And Cap, like, tells him, hey, it's okay to fail as long as you just keep trying. And I I did like that moment because it was one of the few times we see Cap and Rick being, like, teacher and student. Mentor, yeah. Yeah. That's the only- I think your mic just moved because you said they got really quiet. Try again. Hello, hello. Still a little bit quieter than it was. No, I can't How hear about you. now? There you go. Okay. That was weird. Anyways, so yeah, um, he was called Monk in that scene, and this guy's called Monk as well. So a little bit of continuity there. He's not just pulling a random guy out of prison. He was pulling a random guy out of prison that we have seen get put into prison. Which is odd because like, he essentially just could be a random guy, and it wouldn't have made a bit of difference. Right. So – Interesting that they decided to reuse this dude who was really important, I guess. Well, these guys you may have also recognized from the first X-Men story after the relaunch. Because these guys work with Count Nefaria and fight the X-Men in that one story that Chris Claremont had a very minor hand in, didn't directly write. Hmm. They're interesting. I like, I mean, they kind of look silly, but I also kind of like it anyway, in Mm -hmm. a comic book way. I feel like... I don't know, the organizer in particular is maybe the weakest part of this whole gang because it's like, why not call him the zoo master or at least or something? Like, why? what's the organizer? What does that have to do with animals? Right. So did, that's, you, did you just go yeah. through the crook directory and start looking at people with animal names? Yeah. So that's like the only thing that's kind of weird. Like, I like that they're all animals, but there would have been a, or it could have been a part where we want, we get an answer as to why they all want to be animals, you know, mm-hmm. or what does that have to do with anything? But outside of that, I don't know. They're kind of fun. Yeah. They, um, they're pretty. The the designs, other than the fact that they're dressed up like animals, they're not terrible. They're they're you know as far as no. animal people go, they're actually pretty cool looking. Yeah, it's just it's very sixties, very very kooky totally. is the best word I can think of. Yeah, I it's particularly not, like Frogman for some reason. But yeah, <laughs> so just looks weird. Foggy comes in and he's like, "Hey y'all, I'm going to be the new DA." And instead mm-hmm. of saying, "Really, Fog? That's great. Tell me about it." Matt is all like. Um, are you sure? I mean, they could be using you. What do you know about this new third party? Just like squashes him really abruptly. I would be upset too. We have come a long way in only 10 issues with their relationship because they started out as besties. Mm -hmm. And then once we introduce Karen, they are besties who are tiptoeing around each other for a while. Like, oh, Foggy likes her. I like her too, but I don't want to hurt Foggy's feelings. So I'll just stay away and vice versa. The same thoughts from Foggy. And now it's like, they're just kind of straight up 
not liking each other. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So they it's have... just getting worse. They need to have a – at some point, they need to have a heart-to-heart or a head-to-head or a fist fight or something to, to figure this out. They're being like Peter and Betty. Yeah, pretty much. I like how um, they go to the yacht and Matt's shaking hands and he's like, they're all prominent, wealthy men. Why do I sense danger? <laughs> You're I'm ahead like, of your time, Matt. You're ahead of your time. Yeah, Matt doesn't understand why old, rich, white dudes might be dangerous. <laughs> right. And the Sandman's there also, so that's weird. Oh, yeah, there's that guy dressed as a Sandman. <laughs> what was with them in this green, black striped shirt? Like, was that just a thing in the 60s? Like, everybody was wearing that? I don't know. I guess. I don't know. I, I, it's, 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 a, it's a very, like, of its time kind of look. Because everyone's just hanging out in their T-shirts and shorty shorts. Mm-hmm. Which is very, like, I don't know, James, James Bond. James Bond, totally. Yeah. Totally James Bond. White shorts, like dress shorts, you know? Mm-hmm. It's funny. They can swim in them. They're All right, so speaking of swimming, and I don't know the answer to this legitimately, but I did wonder on page eight, last panel, would being underwater be a should it be a problem for Daredevil, or is it just no different than anything else for him? Okay, radar and sonar are different things. Yeah. And yes, maybe he can have a similar effect in water that he has in air, but like. I, it would not be my immediate thought because sonar, I mean, well, well, water, first of all, depending on how his radar sense actually works, water is a much thicker medium. Mm-hmm. And I would think that his radar sense would say, oh, crap, I'm surrounded by stuff. I can't tell anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know. That's what I think, too. But It's comics. So it's hard to say exactly yeah. why it would work. And I think he's been in water before, but this is a more extended underwater fight. He can somehow sense where Frogman is and catch him and, you know, mm-hmm. grenade and all that stuff. But And you have to explain somehow, otherwise Daredevil can never go in water. Which might be fun. Maybe that's a weakness. Don't go underwater. Don't put me in a bathtub, you know, stilt man. Remember, We're going to get in trouble. Remember how that's Loki's weakness? <laughs> You're right. Same thing. Loki doesn't remember how that's his weakness, but we still remember. <laughs> um, Karen is very obviously jealous over a new girlfriend. And mm-hmm. that's fine, but like it would feel better if Karen hadn't spent the last 10 issues mooning over another man. That seems like such a thing they do in these issues we read because this is also what I feel like Pepper did this too, but uh-huh. I can't remember a particular instance. I feel like uh, um, someone else we read, Betty? oh, like Betty, obviously. She's got, but she had a little, at least a little more, more legitimate concerns, I guess, but mm-hmm. like. Like, wasn't it – God, what did we – what were we just reading where, like, like uh, someone doesn't – never cared for somebody and then suddenly did because they were looking at somebody else, you know? It just seems like that's a trope. That is definitely a trope. Yeah. I don't remember what it was or reading where that was – I feel like that was a recent conversation. I don't remember what it was. Yeah, other I don't than, either. Other than Betty and Ned because we just read that Spider-Man issue where – Yeah. Maybe I'm thinking of Peter doing it. I don't know. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I think it was Pepper, but I can't remember how. But anyway. It definitely was not Jane because she has no personality. She has had nothing to do for a long time, right? Right. (laughs) Except get kidnapped at this point. That's at least somewhat interesting. In a list of, you know, problematically handled female characters, she is the least developed. Oh, it was Jan, like, saying – it was backwards sexism or whatever. It was like Jan saying, like, Hank's not caring about me enough, so I'm going to go to the party with this guy. And then suddenly Hank's all – Oh, I want to yes, love her. Yes, that's whatever. been a little while back since that scene, but yeah, I definitely remember that scene. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, 
That's just, um, I guess, 60s relationships. That's how they go. I love schematics, and so they have mm-hmm. this tower thing. But if I understand my water physics. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So they have this tower, and uh-huh. in the tower is a vertical shaft that goes underground and then is near the lake, and the water level has an underground tunnel so that frogmen can swim through the water into a tunnel, hit a water lock at the base of the vertical shaft. It's a water-filled elevator shaft, and then Mm -hmm. it can swim up the shaft to a couple of other airlock, waterlock chambers in the upper floors of the tower. Right. So I feel like... Seems cool. Every time... um, So... The level of water inside the shaft would naturally want to go down. Right. And every time they opened the lower door, it would lower to meet and match the level of water outside. So they're going to have to have like a pump system to like pump the water back into that vertical shaft to get anybody up on that. It would be easier if those airlocks that are at the top of the building, if they were like on the first floor. Yeah, essentially, if he opens that water lock at the bottom, the water is just going to flood down so fast mm-hmm. it's going to push him back out that tunnel. He'll never be able to get through the door. Exactly. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. huh? Well, they were trying to be clever. It seems kind of clever on comic paper, but yeah, that doesn't really work, does it? But I still appreciate the effort. Um, okay. I've read these issues before, mm-hmm. and I was pretty sure I knew how the story was going. And then in Googling various things to research the issue, I did run exact run across exactly who the organizer is. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to say, Good, but I will I say know. he's at the party at the Okay. End. Well, sure. He's got to be, right? But he's also giving orders to the animal men. Uh-huh. So I'm not entirely sure how that works. Oh, you mean at the same time? At apparently the same time, yeah. Because like on page 16 and 17... He's on the video and on the audio on comms talking to them. So Hmm. that's weird. Yeah. You're right. Or, well, it does say that night. So is that like later? I don't know. Well, yeah, that's what I was thinking too. But then while they're doing the attack, he's on their comms. Organized for all units. You're right. You're right. And then he's back to at the party. Uh Uh-huh. So I think they're just not being fair with their, their hints for us. They're no, purposely, no, they're they're purposely tricking us. Yeah, that's not cool. But then again, his costume's so lame. It's just like a purple thing on his face. Maybe he just runs into a closet, throws that sock on his head, and talk, <laughs> talks real quick. And they, he can wear that tux under it, you know? Possibly. Anyway. Yeah, but it is kind of cheating, I think. Um, the girlfriend's name is Deborah. I have it in my notes. I could not remember it while I was doing the uh, recap. I did dig the reveal. Um, it did make sense as the story went. And I knew that she was problematic from the beginning of the story. Um, this is the first time I've actually read this story that I can recall knowing her deal from the beginning of the story. Uh, and yeah. so I, I was like paying attention as it went and her whole shtick works out. Yeah, she sticks around a while, I guess. But I kind of knew she was evil from the beginning because they sure didn't paint her nice. But anyway. She was kind of suspicious just being brought in. Oh, you want to be part of the district attorney's office? And here's uh-huh. a girlfriend that is part of the party you want to join. Right. As as Matt is thinking about how everybody here is evil and he senses evil and he thinks he's in hell at a yacht club. Yeah. And his evil sense is eviling. Mm-hmm. I sense evil with my super right. evil senses. So that's that though. Huh? with two months of waiting after this issue. Oh, no. 
I hope I remember what happens. I hope the kids remembered what was happening. Although, you know, you can reread this 75 times over two months. That or just listen to our episode again. That'll work. <laughs> I'm sure the 1965 kids will look forward to that. <laughs> Um, okay, should we move on to, gosh dang it, I have Sergeant Fury? Mm-hmm. All right, Sergeant Fury, it is Howling Commandos number 23, and it is called The Man Who Failed. Um, stirring story by Stanley, powerful penciling by Dick Ayers, broad brush work, hard to say, by Frank Ray, and lit, litting, lettering by Artie Smack. Lilting. Lilting. That looks like ulting almost. Anyway. Um, our scene, this is from the caption, our scene is one of the most dramatic areas of World War II, the Burma Road lifeline of the CBI, China, Burma, India Theater of War. Say that five times fast. But a road is merely a piece of geography. It is the people who live and die there that make it worthy of note. So we've got some Japanese hiding behind some big boulders waiting to surprise. Guess what? The Howlers, they come around the corner and they get surprised and they get ambushed and shot at, but the Howlers are better shots and they, and like uh, Nick can pick all the snipers out of a tree. Um, and Dum Dum throws a big old grenade and basically they kind of scare them all off. What are the Howlers doing there? Well, they're trying to reconnoiter with somebody and it turns out that somebody is a nun and some children her name she introduces herself is sister Teresa. the, the japanese have burned her mission um, but she managed to escape with these handful of children and she is under the impression that the japanese are under the impression that she has secret war plans so they are chasing her and she is trying to get to the nearest uh like british brigade i guess who are stationed somewhere. So it's the Howler's job to get them there. Um, and, uh, of course, the first thing that happens is these planes come out of nowhere and try and kill them, but they're no big deal because the Howlers just shoot them out of the sky. Um, then as they're making their way, I believe this is at some point where she mentions that that she wants to hook up with a what are called the Burma Dragons, which makes Percy really shocked and kind of nervous, but he doesn't say why. But Nick notices that he looks weird. Um, anyway, we cut to the Japanese, and there's this evil general slapping his soldiers around. And he tells them, you better find that nun, or you better just kill yourself before you dishonor us. So the guy with the scars, like, sweating, like, oh, man, now i got to kill myself? I better find this nun. So cutting back to the jungle, the Howlers all have, like, a kid on their back. Unfortunately, uh, Gabe's kid finds his trumpet in his backpack and thinks... This will be really awesome if I blow it. And also, unfortunately, this kid is going to be the next Dizzy Gillespie because he manages in the first blow ever of his trumpet to blow the loudest uh, tone tune ever, which, of course, kind of zeroes the Japanese in on their location. So suddenly the Howlers are surrounded. They all drop. Um, the Japanese are in the woods shooting at them. Nick says, hey, Percy, take the kids. We'll continue to shoot. and They won't know that you've you know squirreled off. But unfortunately, they do know because he gets captured. And once he gets captured, uh, the Japanese disappear on the Howlers. So the Howlers are like, wow, I guess Percy got captured because they're not shooting at us anymore. So cut to where the Japanese take Percy and and uh, the sister and the kids. Percy tries to fight, but they outnumber him and beat him badly. He then says, listen – he tries to trick them and says, listen, if you spare the nun, because they're going to gun her down. If you spare the nun, I'll tell you, 
I'll give you the buddy the the plans that uh, that she supposedly has, but uh, that backfires because it turns out the Japanese were lying the entire time. There was never any plans that she had. They just said that out loud to uh, undermine her and get the rest of the war after her because her influence over the young was just too intolerable. So they just want to kill her basically. But as they're having this discussion, the howlers suddenly show up. There's a big fight. Um, the guy who wants to commit Harry Carey tries, but Dum Dum like squeezes his hand on the grenade and then basically tosses him like a grenade. It doesn't kill him though, but he tries to attack them with a sword and Nick knocks him out. Um, all the kids are like thinking this is the greatest thing ever. The Howlers, of course, win the fight. They go to uh, start making their way to reconnoiter with the Burma dragons. And again, Percy's freaking out. So this time Nick tries like small talk, which kind of makes Percy freak out more. So he instead decides to just open up and tell Nick and rather than have small talk with him. Apparently back in the day, we have a flashback now. Back in the day. Percy was from a long line of uh, Lieutenant Dan's. You know, every generation was in the war and a hero and amazing. Um, so he was at this academy. But he, being a rich kid, rather would rather party and go out with the ladies and drink and stuff to the point where the academy finally, I guess, just fired him, asked for his resignation, told him to get out. So basically he's like, or he, at least he thinks he's a disgrace to his family, particularly his brother who actually did live up to the family name and be all awesome and everything. Um, so anyway, after telling that story, they again get attacked. Uh, and this time Nick throws a grenade. It's a smoke grenade. Percy sat or, you know, risks his life to go out into the smoke and basically be a distraction. So everybody's shooting at Percy, which allows Nick to come from behind and knock everybody out just in time to, uh, reunite with the Burma dragons who, by the way, are led by his brother. So that's why he was nervous. But turns out he had nothing to be nervous about because his brother saw the whole thing and also tells him that, you know, we've been very proud since you've become a howler. You you really live up to the uh, Pinkerton name. So they all, like, wipe tears from each other. And it's a happy ending. The end. Yay. Yay. We got some backstory. We got backstory. We got character drama. Yeah. We got a pretty solid story going on here that I have like three things to say about. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's still, it's still a Howler story, you know, in terms of, you know, how they lay it out. But yeah, there were some cool things. Was this supposed to be mother Teresa? Okay. It could be. I'm sure Teresa might be a common Catholic thing, but it could be. I don't know. Was she in the the Burma, whatever? Well, she, she's Indian, like from Mm -hmm. India, from, um, you know, the Asian continent, she mm-hmm. could conceivably have been here around this time. It's not out of, you know, possibility. I don't mm-hmm. know that we have any records of her being up here during World War II, but certainly uh, taking care of children, um, sheltering those in need during the war, those were things that I'm pretty sure she was involved in. Um, yeah. I'm not entirely sure that she had actually gained any fame, which is probably why we don't know a whole lot about where she was um, during this time. So mm-hmm. yeah, I, I got the impression that they might have been trying to use her as a character. Anytime they introduce a new character and they do a close up panel of the face, it's always suspicious that they're trying to capture a likeness or something. Right. Of course, mother Teresa is not Caucasian. <laughs> it doesn't look like that. So yeah. Right. I don't know. I didn't, I didn't think of that, but I, you never know. Um, they misspell Harakiri. 
Uh, Harikari? Yes. Yeah, it's Harakiri. Should be H A R A K I R I, which is, of course, um, a form of the suicide that was part of Japanese warrior culture in previous right. Right. times. See the Wolverine. Right. Or Shogun or anything about you know, right. Japanese history. Uh-huh. Um, and then Percy's backstory. That's like the third thing I was going to talk about. <laughs> well, let me tell you something. I've tried to play the trumpet. It's not easy to get a note out of that thing first try. So this kid is a prodigy. I hope we Definitely. see more of him someday. But that's the only other like if I you, really If no one tells you how to play the trumpet and you put that thing up to your lips, yeah. you won't make any noises. No, if you just blow directly into it, it won't work. Uh, for those of you who have never played the trumpet or any of those brass instruments, mm-hmm. um, there's this like bell-shaped cup that goes over your lips and you buzz into them. This is also true um, if you've ever seen like the ram's horn trumpets that uh, like Jewish rabbis would blow. Yeah. Same yeah. thing. These sort of old, even a seashell, you have to do it that way. You know, you're, Yeah, like the conches. It's, it's amplifying the sound of your buzzing lips. So just blowing right. would not work. But it was still a cute moment, I thought. But And actually they do say uh, – if I don't see you again, promise me I'll study the trumpet when when you're a grown up. You got a great pair of lungs, little fella. So, so even they comment that that's a pretty right odd scenario. But so okay, Percy's backstory. Percy's backstory. He failed out of the academy and joined the Howlers later on. It was always embarrassed about his military life. Um, whenever he joined the story, we open the idea, open up the doors to the idea that Percy Pinkerton may be a homosexual character. He might be Marvel's first gay character. Um, mm-hmm. And whenever I brought this up to the internet back in the day, they uh, there were people who mentioned this particular scene mm. where he's telling his life story to Nick Fury and he says he grew bored of military school. My family was quite wealthy and I was more interested in good times, pretty girls and fancy cars. So I'm afraid I simply let my studies slide. And we see a picture of him walking down the street with a girl at each arm. Mm-hmm. So three possibilities to my mind. <laughs> okay. A, <laughs> A, he actually dated these girls. And uh-huh. maybe he's not gay or maybe he's bi or whatever. But if we want to go with the fact that he's not bi, that he's you know a straight up gay man, why would this be in here? And I have two possible reasons. Okay. One, he didn't know himself yet. Yep. And it was dating girls because that's what you're expected to do. Uh-huh. Or B, this is just the story he's telling to Nick Fury. Right. Which is my favorite of the two. Because you know, especially probably back in the 60s, that was probably a thing that happened often. You'd have to switch the pronoun when you're telling something about your past or else you get in trouble, right? Right. I was interested in uh, good times and pretty Girls and fancy no. cars. Yeah, cars. I, yeah, guys like cars, right? I dated this girl once in high school. Yeah. Um, but it is interesting because I never really thought about this, but like, you know, we always have this uh, officer versus not officer discussions. Um, mm-hmm. And Percy does seem like a guy who came from a family that had their pinky up when they drank tea, right? Right. Uh, so I've never thought of this, but it's like, yeah, why is he a private? Why didn't he go through some sort of military academy and, you know, have an actual rank or 
something. And now we know why, even though I never really thought to ask in the first place, but it was a cool story idea. It was a cool story. We need more issues that focus on individual characters. Yeah. In ways that make us care about them as people, not just as plot movers. In fact, outside of an issue where Fury was on trial and we had a flashback of his life, Mm. this is it. As far as backstories go, yeah. Yeah, so that's crazy. Because what number are we on now? We're on 23 issues and we've only had two backstories? Come on. Come on. Anyway, you'd think they'd want to do backstories because that'd be like a story idea. Are are they really just happy doing this over and over again? I don't know. I mean, war war comics are war comics. I'm guessing that backstories are not really something that you get a lot of. I guess not. You get a lot of made-up missions for the next story. Yeah. It's a whole genre there. They're trying oh, yeah. to take the tropes of the genre and tell decent stories with them. And I guess knowing your characters just isn't one of those tropes. I guess. That's why I'm not going to do any war comic podcasting, I guess. <laughs> Although there are definitely people that are listening to the audience that are all about the war comics. So Yeah? Well, they yeah. should do it. <laughs> I know whenever I share covers sometimes of the stuff I'm reading, they're like, hashtag war comics. I'm like, oh, yeah. really? Wow. Yeah. Okay. I Now, I do like Golden Age comics that involve war. But they're also superheroes. So, I don't know. It's different, I guess. Right. Not the same as a war comic. I would like to read more war comics. If I ever really get into my DC and Marvel, like, exhaustive readings, I'll be looking forward to things like GI Combat and stuff and seeing what it's all about. That's the second time there's been a loud pop in the background at my house, and I have no idea what it is, but that's okay. It's your cat. It's probably a cat. Well, all right. I don't think that was enough Nick Fury for me, so... We need, we need to double down on the furiousness of this podcast. So we're going to go over to Strange Tales 138. And it's at this point. Oh, no, no, no. It was with the uh, Sergeant Fury issue that we changed release dates. Went from August 3rd to August 10th. So, um, oh, so, so, this, so this and the other Fury came out the same day? Yep. Wow. If you were a Fury fan, this would be a fun day for you. This is going to start with a uh, S.H.I.E.L.D. story titled Sometimes the Good Guys Lose. Written by Stan Lee, Sultan of Script. Laid out by Jack Kirby, Master of Melodrama. Drawn by Johnny Severin, Archduke of Art. Lettered by S. Rosen, Prince of Penmanship. We got that Johnny Severin art on this again, and I loves it. Yeah, it's cool. Knowing that the evil hordes of Hydra plan to launch a super destructive Betatron bomb into orbit with which to threaten all of Earth, Nick Fury and his dedicated agents frantically search the remote Balkan terrain, hoping to stop the deadly launch before it's too late. And I know as much as we do, so let's (laughs) go. All right, so... Gabe Jones and Nick Fury are out on um, assignment. They're looking for this Betatron bomb. They're in a plane with like this really long periscope that's like looking down all over the plane, uh, the, the terrain below. Um, they spot the Betatron bomb missile. So they can't hit it because they missed, like, it's going so fast. And by the time they saw it, they couldn't hit it. Nick Fury's like, great. I missed, I flood the assignment. Um, what are we going to do? Well, I'm just going to launch my rockets anyway. And he shoots the rockets at the Betatron bomb. And they, did they miss? I think they missed. There's an explosion. I was really not sure myself, to be honest. So I don't know. There was an explosion, yes. But I don't know if it was a good explosion or a bad explosion. Okay. Well, 
um, there's a person, a Hydra person who is, oh, the, the Supreme Hydra watching the explosion on TV and his daughter shows up because he has called for her. He wants her to share this moment of triumph with him. And she's like, okay, good. So the Betatron bomb is in orbit. She was kind of hoping that all of this would go like not to the point of fruition, that somewhere along the way, her dad would get over this whole idea and stop leading Hydra. (laughs) Yeah. That crazy idea, that whim of an idea. Yeah. But no, he'd rather pet his uh, Panther (laughs) And send his daughter running away in tears. Crazy. Yeah. He goes to the Hydra Divisional Staff Chief's chart. Which, <laughs> Jeez. keeping with our theme of the episode, right? Um, each of the divisions of Hydra is symbolized by a animal. So we have naval action is the sea dragon. Administration is the mole. Reconnaissance is a leopard, heavy weapons, a rhino, air action, a falcon, supplies are a camel, engineers are a beaver, assassins are a tiger, planning staff are the owl, and diplomacy is the fox. So he uh, calls for the fox to... um, to present the surrender terms to all the nations of Earth that they have to yield or perish. We switch scenes to uh, the S.H.I.E.L.D. helicarrier where Fury and Dugan and Jones are watching how the Earth public people are panicking because of the Betatron bomb and all the threats against humanity. Um, Hydra, like, sneaks onto this... Uh, is this, this isn't the, um, the helicarrier, is it? We're not in space, are we? Are we in space? Station Space Watch, it says. So they're in space. How did these guys just sneak on? <laughs> I don't know. Oh, no, no. Okay, I, I looked at my notes because I was confused. I made notes by the confusion in my notes. Um, they're in Stark's factory, but they have a lot of big screens monitoring space. I see. Okay. So they're in one of Stark's factories. They're not on the helicarrier. They're just in a munitions factory of Tony Stark. And a bunch of Hydra people sneak on board while Tony and Nick are just like over in the corner looking the other way. Uh, so Tony and Fury go to talk in a room and Hydra is like following them down the hall. Don't look back. Don't look back. Don't look at us. And um, Tony opens the door for them to have a meeting inside. Fury hears something behind them, shoves Tony Stark into the room to protect him turns around and attacks the assassinating Hydra tigers. They start shooting at him, but of course he had his bulletproof clothes on and um, he shoots back, but they eventually overpower him and strap him into a really fancy straitjacket. They crush in the next room and go after Tony Stark, but he is standing inside an impenetrable cube of, I don't know, transparent aluminum or something. Uh, He's thinking to his head about how he wishes he could turn into Iron Man, but of course that wouldn't work. Uh, and he's, he's glad that at least they haven't yet found the Brainosaur, which is what they're looking for. But Hydra does crash into the factory with a really large tank. They start shooting stuff and they launch another missile into the sky. Which one is this? Was the Hydra missile as the fate of the world hangs on the startling developments. Um, we switch scenes to a boardroom meeting at Imperial Industries International. It's the same mysterious boardroom that we saw last issue. The lights go off. Um, the guy in charge causes his assistant Brown over. Um, there's once again, like some, some, uh, discontent among the board members with the guy who's leading them. 
there's some grumbling as everything breaks up. And one guy like asks the other two guys, like meet him, say, Hey, let's go, you know, grump about this boss and try to plan against him later on. And minutes later, somebody from that board meeting puts on the Supreme Hydra outfit, goes down to the Hydra meeting, sees Nick Fury in the straight is like, yay, hell Hydra, you're going to die. And, um, they tell the leaders of the nation, as long as our Betatron bomb orbits above, you have no choice but to accept our surrender terms. So I think, yeah, I think that first Betatron bomb got destroyed and then the second Betatron bomb got launched at the end. That'd make much more sense because otherwise the Earth would be gone probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just not well described or something. I don't know. That confused me a little bit, but... But, um... What'd you think of this one as, as an overall chapter? It's fun. It continues to be fun. I still like it. Yeah. Um, There's enough different stuff going on in each issue that it's like, it's not uh-huh. doesn't feel repetitive. Yeah. It's not as repetitive as say Submariner has been for me. Mm-hmm. Um, this is much better. Yeah. It's still going strong. Happy to report from the coloring department that Gabe Jones is not gray again. He's not gray. I need to see his trumpet pretty soon. It's very odd. We haven't yet, but <laughs> considering how often he plays that thing, uh, you know, 20 years ago. Did he quit? I can't What is be. the story of Jones and the trumpet? Yeah, where's the dang trumpet? And where are uh, Dugan's blue stripes? I need to know. Yeah. Um, I'm still kind of super bummed at this woman that was the first Hydra woman ever who, like, killed to become the first Hydra woman ever. Turns out to just be, like, a nice, sweet person who doesn't want her daddy to be evil. Eh, it's so boring. Like, it would have been cooler if she was an evil woman. I don't, yeah. like, that di- I don't like that dynamic still. It's kind of the one thing that's, like... I could do without, but that's okay. It's a, it, it's a trope. It, it's a it's a very well used trope that you have this, you know, evil organization, and the the daughter is like the holdout, uh-huh. and she's like the moral center that is hoping that her her man that she's invested in will come away from the evil and be good like her, and she's only involved to help him, you know, remember what he really loves, and it never works out for her. Or it but does, do, like, as they're all dying. But do you think, like, that was the original intention? Because, like I said, her introduction is her in one of those one-on-one with the failure guy. Mm-hmm. And she kills him, right? So they establish her as a badass at the front, but then they don't use her as that. Yeah, it just seemed like she was going to be sinister or something. But it's like, oh, she's just a person? And and Mr. Immortal Hydra is like, just like a dumb dad who doesn't listen to his daughter? Uh. Right. Um, I do like the dial H for animals thing. That's kind of cool. <laughs> uh, it's better than the other animals we just covered because there are actually like kind of reasons behind it. You can see heavy weapons, rhino, that makes sense. Supply, camel, makes sense. Diplomacy, fox, of course. You know, it's good stuff. It kind of works. It was pretty fun. Uh, it, it goes along with the title of the episode and, it, you know, it, it's, it feels very – very 60s. It, you know, it feels like the sort of thing that Spectre wouldn't do, but like <laughs> some organization. What's the organization Man from Uncle? Like they would probably oh, do it. Yeah, they would definitely do it. Yeah. Um, okay. So just to be clear, I did go back and check the scripting. At the beginning, in the plane, Fury misses the Betatron bomb but blows up the dock it launched from so they could never launch any more weapons again. So the Betatron bomb is in space, in orbit, threatening the world for the rest of the story after that. That and then makes it, a lot of sense. At the end of the story, that tank with the really big cylinder that launches, 
uh-huh. they load Nick Fury into that with some Hydra goons. That right. is an airport, an air transport tube. Right. That wasn't a missile. Yes. they. Will, I mean, I guess technically it's a missile, but it's not a bomb missile. So basically Nick made it so that they can only launch the one that they got away with. Right. And so now they're going to use that one as their blackmail. And if we can somehow destroy that one, go Team USA. Right. Okay. That makes perfect sense. Now, I've been watching that Catch-22 miniseries from last year on Hulu. I don't know if you saw that. No, I don't know what that is. So Catch-22 is a, is a, um, a book. I want to say the author is Ian Keller. I could be wrong on that. Um, yeah, definitely wrong on that. He, it, it's, it's a World War II satire, but not comedically sat. Well, yeah, definitely sometimes comedical, but maybe the same genre as MASH, but a different flavor than MASH, you know? Uh-huh. Okay. And the main character, Yossarian, his job is exactly what Nick Fury is doing in that initial scene. He looks through a scope down to the ground below to sight when to like, and like the math of how the bombs are going to fall is all built into the design of the scope. So mm-hmm. once he gets the target in his crosshairs, he says, drop the bombs and they drop the bombs and like the, the forward moment of the bombs and the falling speed of the bombs and all of that stuff works out perfectly. Okay. So just relating to it because I'd seen a guy doing that in catch 22 and that's exactly what Nick Fury is doing here. This plane design is really cool. I mean, I don't know if they're basing this on reality, but it kind of mm-hmm. looks like it could be or could have been. I, obviously, it's outdated technology now if it was ever real, but right. I like it. It's neat. If they're going fast, they'd have to retract that long scope. That can't go vertically if you're going forward. Right. But if they did make it up, it's definitely very Bond. This whole series is so Bond, it's awesome. But anyway. Right. Yeah, yeah, definitely very Bond. Um, uh, uh, I love... That Tony Stark, because they could easily do this, and I would probably love that too, but they have refrained from making him Iron Man. Mm -hmm. Uh, So he is like, he's reminding me more of like Howard Stark in the MCU. Yes. He's he's got the suit, and he's there to help Captain America, or he's there to help Agent Carter and her TV show, or whatever. But like, he's just tech support, and it's cool we know that, ooh, that's Iron Man related, but he's not going to be Iron Man. Like, he he didn't even say himself here as Iron Man. He used some cool... Tony Howard Stark, like you said, uh, whatever it was. But uh, and if you don't know he's Iron Man, it doesn't. Then you don't really know what his deal is, and it didn't really matter until this issue where he mm. says, "If only I had my attaché case. It contains my expanding suit of armor. There still be a chance to stop them." If you don't know he's Iron Man, you don't really know what he's talking about there, and it's just <sighs> kind of left dangling. You know what else? And I didn't even think about this because I'm so used to just Iron Man being out. Mm-hmm. But he's not out. No. So that's another thing he has to think about. Like, he can't just change in front of them and get away with it. And would anybody wonder, like, how did Iron Man get here? I guess it's Tony's factory, so that could be how he got there. But it's still something else he has to work around. If Hydra's actually looking at him, he can't change anyway. Right. Um, we we have the boardroom again. We've had five different characters in this room assigned names and at least partial personalities. So one of these guys is apparently Supreme Hydra. Mm-hmm. Um, Hodges and Wilson say they're going to go to the club and see each other at the club next week. And I wonder if that's the same club Jameson goes to. Ah, could be. But, um, but yes, I, I think the only purpose for this is to give us basically Supreme Hydra has an alternate identity 
we don't know who it is. Mm-hmm. If you had to pin one person in this room, who do you think you would pin? Well, the pipe guy looks really nefarious, but I don't know if his thought balloons like preclude him from being whatever, because I can't remember what he says now. But he looks pretty evil. Or the main guy that's running the show looks evil, too. Mm-hmm. So it's probably the dude with the glasses in the third panel. Okay. But but you know what's weird is like you just made me realize they're doing this a lot now, aren't they? First Mysterious we have Green, bad guys? Green Goblin. And then even in, within this own episode, we've had the – what's his face? Organizer. The Organizer. And in a way, it's like, I mean, we don't know how the Green Goblin pays off, wink, wink. But like, yeah, introducing a bunch of characters just so we don't know who it is is kind of cool. But if we don't care about any of the characters, does it really matter? Like, is it going to be a big reveal and shock for me when it turns out Pipe Guy is the Supreme Hydra? I don't kind of care. Do I? I don't know these people. Right. So, you know, give me 18 comics where I see Pipe Guy's life and his wife and his loving kids and him going to this thing and then reveal that he's been the evil mastermind the entire time. Okay. That's shocking. But just throwing names at me is not really working. I agree. I agree. Um, the next big mass character in daredevil that I can think of is the mass marauder. And mm-hmm. he is a character who shows up in minor ways for a while, but you're in, you, you become invested in his relationship to the story because you know, he's an antagonist to Matt Murdock in his personal life. Yeah. And I don't even realize he's a mass marauder until later. But um, but yeah, this is yeah. this is less effective. Like when I first got into Spider-Man, it was all that Hobgoblin stuff. So it's like, we know who Flash is. We know who Ned Leeds is, you know? And they're both in those stories being weird and suspicious. And yeah, that's just more fun when you like kind of care and are invested in actually wondering. But it's like... It and weirdly, really... the guy that the writer wanted to be the Hobgoblin is actually hardly around. <laughs> that too, but like... Uh... Like these guys, it really, you could just eeny, meeny, miny, mo them and it wouldn't matter to me, kind of. Right. Who it is. Anyway, holding the 60s to a higher standard. That should be our <laughs> our tagline. <laughs> our our subline, subtitle, yeah. I don't know if it should be our tagline because if, if that were like our thing, I think it would feel a little bit kind of arrogant. But, you know. No. We do no. expect good stuff from these comics because a lot of times they give us good stuff. Yeah, I do love a lot of this stuff. So I'm not always disappointed. I just don't like this thing that we're doing right now so much. But Well, speaking of things. Uh-huh. Fantastic Four? Oh. Doctor Strange. Oh, yeah, of course. I don't know why I said things, but, you know, the, the, those are the story. Well, there's things Unless, in, the fan, in the Doctor Strange story. The last issue, in fact, we saw Doctor Strange wrest the secret of eternity from the mind of the Ancient One. And now he enters the world of eternity through the enchantment of his magic amulet, only to find... If Eternity Should Fail, written and edited by Incredible Stan Lee, plotted and illustrated by Invincible Steve Ditko, and lettered and bordered by Indelible Sam Rosen. You look up Indelible and see what that means. I'm uh, I'm, uh, putting you on the spot so you don't have to know, but like, what part are we on for this story? What number? Oh my gosh. Um, (laughs) Is there any way to know? I'm very curious now. Like, has this been part 10, 11? Eight or nine. I think we started around 130. Okay. It's been going. Uh, it, was, it was already in progress when Human Torch left, and that was 134. Oh God, really? You're right. Yeah. I think it started around 130. Okay. So um, part eight. Yes. That's it? That almost seems like not enough, but I don't know. So Doctor Strange goes through this portal to the Land of Eternity, which looks a lot like the Dark Dimension as it mm-hmm. happens. Lots of weird geography, very Ditko-ish, 
And um, he basically follows the yellow brick road trying to find eternity. And then boom, he does. He sees this glowing light, approaches it, and in the light is a universe, an actual microcosm, a world within a world. And the lighted universe changes shape and takes the form of a man. And this is our classic Steve Ditko crazy design of a universe that is shaped like a man with a really cool hat. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's like, I'm eternity. You know, you're the second mortal stand before me. The ancient one is also here. Uh, I gave him the magic amulet and its power. And um, yeah, the ancient one sent you. That's pretty good idea but you don't actually need me to beat Baron Mordo and Dormammu because you already have the power within you, Dorothy. And <laughs> if you click your heels three times, you'll go back to the ancient one. Um, uh. I'm done. And he almost starts to leave and Nick and Dr. Strange starts to yell at him, uh, not yell at him, like think about how like he's been forsaken. And um, he comes back and says, no, you know, it'll be okay. You have the power. I'm not, Saying no, I'm just saying that you don't need me. So he leaves. Dr. Strange says, well, crap. And what if he lied? What if he just wouldn't help me? So he goes back home, um, doesn't find Baron Mordo waiting outside the amulet portal, even though we thought that was what was going to happen last issue. Uh, he goes back to the Ancient One to see if he can find out the riddle of Eternity's words. He finds the Ancient One gone, and the man who was watching over him has been frozen. So Dr. Strange unfreezes him. And finds that there are some Mordo's evil spirits uh, present to accompany him to Baron Mordo. Mordo has captured the Ancient One and taken him back home to watch Dormammu TV. And so they can Skype about, you know, having captured the Ancient One. And um, Dormammu's a little bit freaked out about the fact that Doctor Strange went to go find Eternity. He's like, well, if you find Eternity, you have to find out what he learned from Eternity. And we can threaten his master and make him tell us. And then Doctor Strange shows up and says, yo, you captured my master. Prepare to die. Also, Dormammu, on the side, just real quick, threatens Clea, the nameless woman <laughs> who's been captured for like three uh-huh. issues. Right. So, that's it. That's it. Cool. This was a good one. It's a good one, but I also felt a... I, I think I felt Doctor Strange's letdown. Yes. I agree with you there. Eternity basically said... You never needed to find me in the first place. So it's like, well, that was a lot of buildup. But yeah, he does look cool. He does look cool. I've liked him ever since seeing him in the Infinity War. When I found out that there was this big Doctor Strange art called the Eternity Saga, I was like, oh, yeah, give me that. I want it precious. See, I, of course, have heard of Eternity and Infinity War, all that stuff. But like, I never knew until we started this arc that Ditko had anything to do with it. So that's pretty amazing. Yeah. I didn't realize he was that old of a character, I guess. Right, right. Yeah. Um, but he is a great design. Very Ditko totally. in just his surreality. Yeah. That's what's funny. A lot of these characters that I am saying that I never realized were Ditko characters, at the same time, when you think about it, you go, of course it's a Ditko character. Right. Like, of course Eternity is a Ditko character. That looks totally Ditko. Um, or like I, or like maybe from the part of Starlin's brain that channels Ditko, you know? Yeah. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, they do say he is a universe, but they don't say he's our universe. And that's interesting because I always had thought he was. And maybe he is. I think he is too. Isn't he? They just didn't think of that at this point, maybe? 
Is that something? I mean, they don't say that he's not. Maybe no. Doctor Strange just doesn't realize he's outside of his universe right now. Or at least in some dimension where things like outside don't really have the same meanings. <laughs> There's some basically, comics speak for you. Basically any realm that Ditko designs, yeah. Right. Up and down don't matter. But that's kind of what you got with Eternity anyway. If you're looking at Eternity and an Eternity is the embodiment of the universe, then how are you in the universe looking at him? So I kind of feel like it... The, is there the, other universes? I don't right. know. Right. I don't know. But he, I've never seen Eternity stand next to another Eternity and going, hey, Bob, what's up? Oh, nothing. How you, how's your universe going? Good. So is mine, you know? Or would they just be like different versions of the same eternity and couldn't really talk to each other because they're just parallel? I don't know. I don't know either. But the splash page is great. However, you are correct. It does feel like we have been in this story for an eternity. So according to this Wikipedia thing, every universe in the multiverse of the Marvel Universe manifests itself as an anthropomorphic being called eternity. So he is... An abstract entity that embodies the Earth 616 reality along with his sister counterpart, Infinity, with whom Eternity is one. So just wrap your brain around that. Right. And then the authority of Earth 616 is only surpassed by the Living Tribunal, who I've also seen talk to Eternity. So, And we're going to see him in this comic series, I think. He looks Ditko-y too. So there is going to be – so he is us – but they don't really say that in here yet or ever. I don't know. So I just double checked. This saga did start with 130. So only eight parts we've done. Yeah, it is 17 issues long. <gasps> no, it is not. <laughs> I thought I thought like the next one was going to be the end, it seemed like. I mean, it's the showdown. How can I do more? I don't know. Wow. I shouldn't I shouldn't have said. I shouldn't have said. <laughs> well, now I'm prepared, I guess. I'll you eat can, a sandwich. You can go along with each part if you think the next part's going to be the last one, right? Yeah. Um, well, this goes through the end of Ditko's run, and Ditko finishes his Doctor Strange run and his Spider-Man run at the same time, and his last Spider-Man issue is 38. So well, just, Eternity was a bit of a letdown, but design-wise, he's fun. Seeing him is fun, and I do like how this issue ended in a way that wasn't more Doctor Strange running. It was actually mm-hmm. Doctor Strange confronting, which is exciting. It is. So, all in all, I've enjoyed it. I enjoyed this story more than I have the last few, probably. Especially that one where he just like went off and like Sam Beckett it around for an issue. <laughs> that seemed like that was a bunch of them, yeah. He was being chased for a while. So this, it's nice that he's getting a little ownership of his drama here a little bit. Reclaim some agency. Yes, there's a good way to say it. Doctor Strange faces doom. And I really want them to give Clea her freaking name already so I can remember her name. Once in a while, but <laughs> every time I tag the show, I have to type, I have to Google Doctor Strange's girlfriend because I cannot freaking remember her name, and they don't say her name in these stories. Nope, they don't. Drives me crazy. Okay, is that all we got for this one? I think that's all we got. All right, Tales of Suspense is going to be our final for this show, number seventy-one. We got Iron Man on the cover, Punch and Titanium. So we'll start with Iron Man. It's called What Price Victory. A Study in Splendor by Stan Lee Ryder, A Muse of Majesty by Don Heck Artist, A Glimmer of Glory by Wally Wood Inker, A Nice Lettering Job by Art Semek Bon Vivant. Um, if you recall, Happy went and got a doohickey from this evil jerky girl who was just mad at Tony Stark, so she stole his doohickey, um, and he brought it back to deliver it to his boss, 
and basically got killed by Titanium Man, or so they think. So that's where we left off. Tony Stark, oh, Titanium Man and Tony Stark are fighting while the world watches because it was like this communist, you know, Cold War challenge. So now Iron Man is annoyed and really stops holding back or screwing around. He's fully like recharged and he's got the weapons he needs now. So he comes flying at the Titanium Man and he pretends that his flying isn't working. What does that do? That makes Titanium Man like come out in the open and think he has a clean shot but he doesn't because iron man's like psych i was just tricking you and then shoots him as hard as he can with his force beam and then he says by the way i know you're bigger than me and you designed this to be bigger than me but you still only weigh like you know a thousand pounds and i can throw five so he throws him against the mountain and then he shoots him with this ionic energy the whole place is going crazy watching on the tv all the bar like yay iron man except for pepper she's like oh no happy but luckily, she gets a little bit of good news. He's not actually dead, so they're throwing him in the ambulance to take him to the hospital, and she's going to follow along. Meanwhile, back at the fight, Titanium Man is getting a little desperate, but since he's a stinking commie, he uh, you know hid some stuff in the backdrop of the mountains, and he pulls off a piece of rock, and inside the rock is a rocket launcher, and it shoots at Iron Man, but he uses his reverser on the rocket, and he knocks it back at the Titanium Man, which knocks Titanium Man backwards. And now you're really starting to see him sweat. He's starting to run. And then Iron Man's like, oh, yeah, well, I can use the reverse array on you, too. So he shoots him with this cool squiggly line thing. Um, and it makes Titanium Man completely powerless. And then Iron Man just goes in there and picks him up with one hand and spins him around like a lasso kind of. And then tosses him through these rocks and then picks him up and shakes him like a shaken baby and then flies into the sky and wedges him in between these two rocks so he can't get out and then rips his helmet off and claims victory goes back to the place uh, that one jerky senator guy uh i forget his name senator, senator something. bird senator bird congratulates him um and also tells him that hope happy's still alive so iron's like yay and he goes off Unfortunately, the battle has left him so weak that he can't go see Happy immediately. He has to go back to the hotel and sit in the dark and charge and wallow in misery. While he's doing that, Pepper's like, where the heck is Tony? Doesn't Tony like Happy? What the heck? He should be here. Something's wrong with this guy. I don't know if I like him anymore. Um, the Russians tell the senator, your man cheated. He had someone bring in a weapon. And the senator's like, yeah, what about that rocket that you had behind a rock? And they're like, let's just call it even. So they all just walk away. And the Cold War continues, people. Iron Man did not solve that. Um, finally, he charges. He makes his way over as Tony. Initially, she hugs him. But then she's also like, you know, where were you? You didn't even watch Iron Man fight. And he's like, oh, I, was, I had an important business deal. Well, why haven't you been here? Happy's about to die. I had an important business deal. But I'm going to throw all my money at it now. And she's like, you can't solve everything with money. Uh, but he does because they bring in some guy from Vienna and he does some stuff. And he's still dangerously weak, but he might make it. He's stabilizing. Um, Tony offers to give Pepper a ride home, I think. And she says, nah, son, and leaves. And he walks away capsad because she don't like him no more. The end. Dun, 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 God, that dun, fight was fun. It was, though, wasn't it? It was really cool to just see Iron Man go, you know what? I'm smarter than you, and my armor's cooler than yours, and just went crazy on him. And it felt cathartic. Yeah. Like, there was emotional release in the fight that 
honestly, I don't know that I really felt a lot from Iron Man stories. Uh-huh. I made this comment last time that this was like when I did my first Iron Man read through, which only got to like the end of suspense. But it was it was this story, this Titanium Man, Happy Hogan, almost dying story that like I first felt emotional reactions to Iron Man. Mm-hmm. And yeah, this is good stuff. I like this one. Yeah, this is really fun. Good two parter. Um, going back just a moment to the previous story, the credit of the letterer was indelible. Uh huh. And I looked it up. Indelible is related to our word delete. So oh. in, indelible is something that cannot be removed, such as ink uh. from letters from an ink pen. All right. Well, that's cool. That is what inking's for. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so Happy's not dead yet. No, I totally which... had in my head that Happy died somewhere around now. He doesn't. I was completely wrong. I don't know what's up with my brain. I didn't think he died because he's a main Marvel character forever, isn't he? Um, yeah, it's just somehow my memory said, no, he dies here. And then they threw him in the <laughs> Lazarus pit and brought him back. Maybe. I don't know. Um, Brains are weird. Yeah. But he's still in critical condition. Like, they don't end this story with him being okay. They're like, he's dangerously weak. And mm-hmm. it's like his will to live is gone. Pepper, go kiss him real fast. It's the only medical cure. It's always that will to live. Yeah. That's just so non-medically, that will to live thing. But... I guess it's dramatic, so it works. But Actually, I just realized in my notes, I don't think I've told that story about having an emotional reaction to this before. I, I put it in my uh. notes to tell in this story. But uh. um, but yeah, just to, to flesh that out just a little bit more, back when the Iron Man movie came out, mm-hmm. it inspired me to start reading superhero comics again, specifically Iron Man comics, because I just never really read very much of him before, or yeah. any of him. And um that was around the time that the Git Corp DVDs were coming out of like collections of scanned comics. Uh huh. And so I got the Iron Man DVD and started reading it. I was sharing copies of the PDFs with my friends at work. We were at a call center. So if you were waiting for a call to come in, you were just sitting there picking your nose, do whatever. Uh huh. Um, so we read a lot of comics. And yeah. um, I read through all of the Iron Man we've read to up to this point. It was just kind of, you know, more or less enjoying the action, but not really like personally invested in the stories until here. Yeah. This is the first story I remember having an actual emotional response to. Well, they really cranked it up, not just the action, but the reason for the action. He actually has, he's actually upset because Happy's supposedly dead or he thinks so anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and Pepper's actually upset with him. It's not just a, a who do I love thing anymore. It's like now his secret identity is actually making Pepper not like him right which we've kind of had before when he was stuck in his iron man outfit for 28 issues like she didn't like iron man either but she never didn't like tony so and we've a little had, different we've had i mean the, the idea of a character having different relationships between a superhero and their uh uncostumed version is a thing that happens in superhero comics i just like how you know there, there's several of them here like several people in the story know iron man and tony stark separately mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. senator bird yeah. He's like pretty pleased with Iron Man. Yeah. But he thinks to himself, why couldn't a real man like him be head of Stark Industries instead of that heartless mustached playboy Tony Stark? And I just have to wonder, do you have a thing against mustaches, Mr. Senator? I'm not sure why he hates Tony so much, but and up until now he's been kind of a J. Jonah Jameson just easy to hate guy, but I did like how he stood up to the Russians here. So now it's kind of like, oh, but there's more dimension to him. Mm-hmm. 
yeah, he hates Tony, but apparently he likes Iron Man and he actually likes our country and he supports us and is a strong person. So Right. That was cool. I liked that scene where they're trying to like make it so Iron Man's a cheater. He's like, Well, what about your guys? Your guys were cheating too. So yeah. Fun. Then Tony ruins everything about life <laughs> because he goes to see Happy uh, and Pepper's there and she hugs him. If anything happens to Happy, I just couldn't bear it. And he's like is this her natural concern for a friend or is it something more? And I'm just like, Oh my God, Tony, your friend is dying and you're jealous. Yeah. I forgot that lady was in this last bit too. Still. I don't know if she hangs around after this or not, but if she does, it's only minor that she was our not black widow character. Right. Right. I'm still convinced that I'm still not dissuaded that she didn't at least start out as a, Madame Natasha character who just was renamed and rescripted. Yeah, I agree with you. She seemed way more important initially. Um, what's this eight, nine, ten thing? I can't figure that out. Is that just like a count up of the surgery or something? I, I think it's it. the time. It's because the surgery is going through the night. So the oh, eight so o'clock, nine o'clock, eight, ten o'clock. Nine, ten. I get it. Okay. It was just an interesting way to illustrate something that didn't quite work. Yeah, or, I agree. It was it's, lost it's on me clear. a little bit. Yeah. Um, yeah. Good. Moody art, romantic, Don Heck, you're awesome. I don't know. I liked it. And Pepper seems to be full on turned off to Tony now. Yup. I'm curious to see how long that lasts. One freaking issue. Watch. But still, (laughs) it's a great setup. Who knows? These days we're getting better. We're getting more multi-story arc parts and plot threads and like supporting casts and things. It's kind of fun. It is fun. It's a good time to be reading Marvel. Um... Okay, should we move on to the next story? Because there's one more. There's one more. It's Captain America, Libby Legends of World War II. And it's called dot, 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 when you lie down with dogs, dot, dot, exclamation point. Written with the passion of Stan Lee, laid out with the power of Jack Kirby, penciled with the punch of George Tuska, inked with the prowess of Joe Sinnott, lettered with the pen point of Sam Rosen. And actually, this has a nice little caption for me, too, so... Dr. Cedric Rawlings, the traitorous lord of Greymoor Castle, has allowed the Nazis to secretly construct a V-2 missile silo within his castle. But when his sister Celia tries to aid Captain America, Nazi Major Evilheart, I mean Uberheart, orders that she too be placed inside the rocket, along with the two unconscious adventurers. Um, they also like threw Dr. Cedric in the prison and at some point he was going to miniaturize everybody, but they've totally just not remembered that part anymore. Yeah. This so, so they're all getting loaded up. Oh no, they throw him in prison right now. I'm sorry. So he's screaming while they're loading the three of them in a rocket. Bucky and Cap are unconscious. His sister is alive to experience the horror of being blown up in London. He's like, no, no, you can't do this. And they're like, we never liked you anyway. You're a traitor to your country. Therefore, you're just a traitor in general. We hate traitors. We like loyal people. So they toss him into his own prison cell. Cap wakes up and with his regular non-super soldier strength, stretches and five guys go flying. And then he does an awesome, uh, what do you call it? A uh, That thing I don't know how to do and have never been able to do. Cartwheel. He does a cartwheel and like dodges all the bullets. Um Bucky wakes up meantime, and this is hilarious, I think, but Bucky's being like is slung over the shoulder like a sack of potatoes on this one dude who's shooting at Cap. And he wakes up. The dude doesn't know he wakes up, so he just straight up punches the dude in the back of the head like, you know, judo chop Captain Kirk James Bond style. 
takes the gun, starts shooting back, gets Cap's shield for him. That's all they need. So now Cap's just rolling around, throwing his shield, slamming into people. But, but they still have Celia. So they're like, enough. Stop wiping the floor with us or we will murder the Fraulein. Um, But she's like, um, I am not to be a hostage. And she kicks their knee and punches them. And that gives Cap the opportunity to fly across the room and punch too. Meanwhile, Bucky tries to tell Celia, no, no, okay, we got this lady. You're good. But she's like, no, I can't let you shoot Captain America and jumps in front of a bullet and takes the shot. Bucky knocks the dude out, but uh, she's dying now. Um, they let the doc, the scientist guy out. I forget his name already. The traitor. And they tell Dr. her. Rawlings. Yeah, Dr. Rawling, like, tell her, you know, your sister's dying. Um, he runs over, says, we need a medic. She's like, no, it's too late. And uh, she dies. He cries. They feel bad. They put all the soldiers into the prison. Um, I can't remember what happens now. Somehow... I just don't remember how. Somehow they find out, because there was another plot thread, that Steve Rogers was part of this unit, and he left that unit to go save Bucky. But little did he know that that unit was going to be, like, struck. So, like, he kind of had to be there to help them as Captain America. But somehow he finds out that that's still happening. And so he convinces the doctor guy to use, or the scientist guy to use the missile to, to save them. And the guy does, but he's also a little crazy, and he just has it launched, like, right there while he stands there, and he catches on fire and, like, Dr. Death style just dies, screaming and laughing. He Uh, knew about his unit because he knew the plan. So he figures, by now, this is where they probably are. Yeah, but how did he find out they were in trouble? That's the part I don't get. He just figures that they're, they're headed for the coast. They're probably holding off the enemy right now with their backs to the sea. He just figures that's what they're probably doing. It's at the top of page uh, eight. Okay. All right, so anyway, they shoot that missile to, like, solve that problem. The soldiers escape, but they also blow up in the explosion because the whole castle blows up. But Cap and Bucky, you know, jump out a window and talk about how, like, uh, they were the bad guys were really bad because they were going to kill a bunch of innocent people in London if we hadn't stopped them. High five. And then it cuts to, like, the brigade that he saved without kind of really saving them using the rocket. And they're all cheering, like, yay, somebody saved us, but we don't know who. And the end. Yeah, the ending seems a little tacked on. Like this yeah. was going to go somewhere else or maybe take a little bit longer to get there and then just didn't. Really, they just didn't have to bring that up in the first place. That whole uh, – he could have just abandoned his troops and that be it. But they made that whole stink about like, oh, but little does he know that they're going to be attacked. So now we have to solve that problem, but we can't have him go all the way back there to solve that problem. So right. let's, just, let's just have them shoot a missile at possibly the problem and – there we go. And that still doesn't really solve the whole problem where everybody's freaking out that Steve Rogers is missing and went AWOL. It doesn't really. So, so it's, but it's weird. It's an uneven bit of the ending to an otherwise pretty solid story. It's pretty good. Uneven ending and uneven beginning, but I like the middle. Like the shrinking stuff never went anywhere either. But right, that's it. Right. That's it. So, uh, yeah. This is another like- one of our characters who's only here because she's invested in the man in her life. Yeah, although she does choose to not be the victim and let herself be a hostage, that was kind of surprising and cool. Mm-hmm. Like she fights back and also saves Cap's life, really. Yeah. So that was neat. But yeah, it also means she gets murdered, so that's probably not good. But I don't know. Yeah, it's it's yeah, she does get murdered. Um, 
it's in the process of doing something and saving somebody else's life. So she gets caught in the line of fire. It's, uh, it's not yeah. exactly a fridging because she is right. playing out a role that has agency in it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's not the greatest treatment. And they never talk about how she – because remember, what's-his-face is missing a hand or something. Doesn't he, he have – He doesn't have that, a, a robotic hand or something. Like yeah. she felt – one of the reasons she's trying to help him or dissuade him from being a traitor is because she feels like – she owes her life to him because of something that happened to his hand that she caused. Oh. But yeah, see, he has a metal hand up on page seven when he's crying. Mm-hmm. He has that right hand that's metal. And she's the reason for that, but they never say how or why. I'm just going to assume that it happened in the bottom of Cloud City while he was <laughs> in a lightsaber battle with Darth Vader. Yeah. That seems that like the simplest answer. That could be it. Yeah, yeah. And then she came back with the Falcon and picked him up. Right, right. She should yeah. have been there earlier. He would still have a hand if she had been there earlier. Yeah, okay. Well, that works then. Yeah. Um, but it's cool. I like the fight. I really like Bucky fighting. I never realized that about myself until this show. But Bucky kicking butt really excites me for some reason. I like it too. And I like it even more with the retcon increase of age. Uh-huh. Now, he looks – he does not look eight in these comics like he did in the golden age. Right. But in the golden age, all teenagers looked eight. You read teen yeah. Titans comics in the sixties. Those are tween Titans at best. <laughs> okay. That's true. But do you think, cause I can't remember, we have read some golden age cap and I'm thinking of my golden age Batman reading too. I don't remember them explicitly, explicitly saying how old I'm sure they must at some point, but do you think, they're just drawing them young on accident or because they don't know any better? Or do you think they really, at that time in the 40s, wanted them to be eight? Um, I don't think it's ever specified. You're right. And I... Okay, so historically, the concept of teenagers and adolescents is a social development that came out after these characters were created. Right. So there's that bit of historical development to our culture uh-huh. that, to my mind, helps kind of explain why the art is the way it is. Good point. Um, whether, you know, how much of that was intentional or what their mind was when they drew it, I really don't know. Because you're right, they, they never really say how old they were. I think they just drew they them looking don't, young. They don't act like teenagers either. But again, that could go to what the point you just made, that that was not a thing. Mm-hmm teenagers and adolescents but like you know robin's going to school and he's got homework and he oh shucks and i'm pretty sure bruce spanks him at some point you know so is he supposed to be eight or 16 like in their minds when they're when bob kane and bill finger are doing that i don't know yeah i always felt like they're supposed to be eight and then just later they retcon it because someone in the 60s looked back on that and thought oh my god why did we make them eight 16 that works right 16 is kind of less horrifying and so you know whether they look like children because society classified teenagers as children or they look like children because they were children. We just, I don't, I don't know if we'll ever yeah. know. But I, I think that, although I wouldn't say he looked, you know, 24 or whatever he's supposed to be according to Winter Soldier or retcons, he definitely looks like he's older. 16 maybe. Absolutely, yeah. He looks like he's old enough to handle himself. Yeah, yeah. And to the be there. The pseudo-German is thick in this one. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> yes, it's very thick, yeah. Yep, and there's no Red Skull or you know Baron Zemo to talk normal to sort of anchor us back. It's just full on pseudo German, but mm-hmm. oh well, I'm getting used to it, kind of. 
how did you have any thoughts about the the way the shooting of Celia was depicted with that huge cloud around her? You mean why is there a huge cloud? Yeah, is, is this is this code or is this like some personal aversion to showing a woman getting shot in the comic? Or is it just shorthand because he didn't feel like drawing the rest of her body? I don't know. Oh, That's that a good too. question. It was kind of shocking to me mm-hmm. a little bit. Like it seemed brutal, but yeah, you're right. They do kind of cover, make it part of your imagination. And I don't know that because I'm not a gun expert, but I've heard. That it's just a movie thing where, like, there's fire coming out of the barrel of guns. Like, that's not a thing that actually happens. Right. So so maybe there's not supposed to be smoke either. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, it did seem like kind of a, an easy to uh, – a, a, a shortcut panel or something. Maybe, and this is just totally me guessing out of my butt here, maybe mm. they really wanted to show her shock and surprise of getting shot to give mm. you an emotional shock as well. But, mm. like – that would also entail showing her torso with a bullet going through it. And mm. that was more than they wanted to show. They could have just zoomed in closer on her face, probably. They could have done. Yeah, that's true. But anyway, it's still a nice, that's nice. That's not nice. They just gunned down a woman. But it's still a uh, shocking and kind of cool scene. It's effective. Yeah. Yeah. Um, page seven. Mm-hmm. Captain America says, in a war bucky, many people suffer. It isn't necessary to be in the armed forces to be a casualty. Right. He says this to a war orphan. <laughs> I didn't think about that. Yeah, that'd be great to get Bucky's thought bubble right there. Yeah. No duh. You live on our camp because you have nowhere else to go. <laughs> oh, see, there I thought Cap was actually being quite thoughtful, but then, yeah, that's totally not thoughtful at all, is it? <laughs> um, Oops. When they're getting ready to launch the missile, Captain uh, America's like, hold it. I want to double check your calculations. Uh-huh. And Cedric Rowling says, you, what do you know of such technical things? And, you know, even after reading a decent chunk of Captain America comics, I'm with Rawlings. What does Steve know about rocket trajectory computations? Yeah, that's a good point. But remember that super soldier serum was supposed to make him the smartest guy, too. He still has to learn the physics. You're right. He still has to learn the physics. And where did he read that? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe he meant computations like coordinates or something. Yeah, maybe he's just putting up a front because trying to act like they don't trust Rolla. I don't know. Yeah. It's a very ineffective. It's like a bluff that has no nothing behind it. Yeah, they're really it really goes nowhere anyway. So it's just kind of like they just needed some dialogue for that panel or something. Right. Well, that's our last Captain America World War II story. Which is kind of boo, but I also am looking forward to Captain America Modern Day Stories because yeah. that's where we're at. So for those who have not been around the show for a while, um, when they went into World War II stories for Captain America, their stated intention, at least as they said in letter columns, was to tell a string of stories that would eventually end with how Captain America and Bucky fell into the water. And they would expand mm-hmm. upon that whole thing that we saw flashbacks of. Um, mm-hmm. At some point, that intention shifted. And it almost feels like it was during this story. Because <laughs> they're just like, we can't handle this anymore. Let's go do something modern. Yeah, I think Kirby's got some ideas. We're going into some really big cinematic concepts in our next uh, multi-parter. And, um, you know, the return of, of a familiar face and... Lots of stuff that I think 
they were just brimming with ideas and decided to jump ahead. That's my guess. So I was trying to think of what we just got like three stories, basically, right? We got the brainwash. It was like a two-parter. Was that the first one? Um, well, we got retelling of the origin, retelling oh, yeah. of Sandu and Omar, oh, retelling that's right. of the first Red Skull. Then we got news stories with the origin of the Red Skull. That led into the brainwashing, uh-huh. and that led into the guy on the truck with the invisible the guy with, ray. With the guy with the cannon gun or whatever. Yeah, and so that, I think after that was this Castle Greymore story. Right, that's been a three-parter. And this has been a three-parter. So yeah, they really didn't give us a lot, did they? Not, not a whole new, not of a lot. new material, anyway. Nine months, maybe. Nine months, but some of that is just retelling. That really was straight up, almost Joe Simon, Jack Kirby stuff. Yeah, yeah. But you I have mean, a lot of readers who never saw that. No, I know that's true, but that was easy for them to do that. I wonder uh, if that was their first thought, just to start retelling old stories, and they're like, <laughs> no, 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 let's tell some new stories. Do you think they started that way? And just like me, I think the first like. Maybe 10 issues of Cap or Captain America comics are pretty awesome. And then, like, you start getting into more of them, and it's like, this is getting less awesome. Mostly because Joe Simon and Jack Kirby leave, I think. But, uh. Dude, after the first year, when so Joe Simon and Jack Kirby leave, the book takes a shift. Yeah. So, do you think they were just like, yeah, let's remember that Omar one? That's great. Yeah. And that first Red Skull, that's amazing. Oh, Vampire Fiddler. Oh, yeah. How are we going to do that one? Uh, Chess right. Guy. Oh, yeah, I forgot about Chet. Where's the war in these stories? I can't. Is this really what we wrote? This is weird. So then they start doing new ones. I can see that conversation. Yeah. Yeah. It probably started out as, and you, and, and you know, Jack, you're really getting a chance to, to retell some of those old stories you told 20 years ago. You can do it again, only this time tell it your way. And yeah. uh, I'll just come in and fill in the words. You can do it however you want to, Jack. And uh, after retelling three stories, Jack's like, "No, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna shift this," which is good because I really think you know flashback World War II stories in the Marvel universe is much different than original Golden Age Captain America stories, and for the better because those stories were all mostly just monster things, uh, mm-hmm. and it's nice to see like a little more. It's still fantastical, but a little more reality when you when you're doing these Sergeant Fury and Cap War stories. Yeah. But I I do like that idea that you just said, though, like bringing us up to where he goes in the eyes. That actually would have been pretty cool to have the entire Tales of Suspense, like that be that contribution, like connecting those two universes, those two worlds, but time periods. But uh, I'm also looking forward to just straight up seeing Cap in the modern 1965. Which will be the first time he's had an ongoing narrative mm-hmm. in the current universe exactly. as a solo act. Exactly. I don't really count those first half dozen Kirby issues. Um, those, you know, they're just action set pieces and they don't really affect uh-huh. anything. The right. only thing we get out of that little rod is that, oh, Steve lives in Avengers Mansion now, first appearance of Jarvis. And people keep underestimating the weakest Avenger because he's really awesome. That's basically right. the plot of every story. Right. So, so definitely yeah. looking forward to seeing Captain America's stories come into their own. Mm-hmm. Um, Get some I honestly characters. am not entirely sure they knew how to treat this character outside of the World War II setting, and they've been experimenting. Uh-huh. And the experiments have gone through Avengers books, solo stories that don't really matter, World War II stories, and now we're going to get into actual Captain America stories. Which, to be fair, is kind of how all these characters have been. Like, they always seem a little unsteady and unsure of their footing, and then eventually they start settling into something cool. 
it's yeah, the, the 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 lines are just not usually quite as stark, but they they do. You're right. They so, do kind of go through this. I'm I'm still waiting for Hulk to figure it, figure out his footing. <laughs> they <laughs> okay, still have well, no idea what to do with him. But have you read our next Astonish issue? Um, I don't believe Seven. I have. No. Okay. So interesting things happen on Tales to Astonish seventy four, which we're not going to get to till like two episodes from now, probably. But um, but yeah. It'll be curious to see what happens next because there are some interesting things in that issue. So, what are we going to cover? Okay, next so episode? next week for episode 103, you want to finish out this month with the Avengers 21 amazing. Sp- oh, I should probably tell what happens in each of these issues. Let me get those. Well, don't out. tell us everything. No, but lead a up, just, tease, a, just okay. a tease. Yeah. So, the Avengers 21 introducing Power Man. And the what? bitter taste of defeat. No way. Not Luke Cage. Oh, okay. <laughs> I knew that. Amazing Spider-Man 30 with the claws of the cat. Okay. The Fantastic Four 44 beginning another continued story with the gentleman's name is Gorgon. What? So Medusa, Gorgon, all of that stuff is going to start happening now. Awesome. And we're going to wrap up next episode with the beginning of September journey into mystery 122 absorbing man Odin where mortals fear to tread. Wow. So Odin has to take out absorbing man probably. Yep. So definitely exciting issues next episode. Yeah. We're getting some good stuff going. Uh, So if you want to hear our show, you're already listening. You know how to hear our show, but I guess if you're somehow hearing our show on accident or something, you can find it on purpose at makearsmarvel.com where you'll find the links to all the, you know, subscription services that I can think of. Um, Or you could just type Make Ours Marvel into your favorite podcast app and hopefully we show up. Uh, You can also find our social media links for both Facebook and Twitter. We are way more into Twitter, but we are also on Facebook if you want to be there too. Um, And you can write us... With the contact form on that website, or you can write to podcast at makeoursmarvel.com. And every once in a while, we'll do a mailbag episode and read your thoughts or questions or answers. Answers are great. I love answers. So send us some answers. I can be found on Twitter at John Reads Comics. Mike can be found on Twitter at Kaiser the Great. I have two other podcasts I do called All the Pouches and Image Comics Podcast, which is at All the Pouches, talking about early 90s image. And uh, also have Return to Cybertron, a Transformers UK podcast uh, that I do with my son. That is at TFUK podcast on Twitter. We're going through, um, well, he's with me when I want to talk about cartoons. I do the comics on my own, and those are the UK Transformers comics from the 80s. Good stuff, good stuff over there. So is that it? I think that's it. We've done all our things. We've done all our things. Okay, well, next time we'll be back or until Dr. Stephen Strange decides that Dr. Strange should be his superhero secret identity. Make ours marvel. Marvel.